0: again, friends, and welcome on into episode 108 of the Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Thursday, May 14th, 2020. On the docket for today's show, you. How is that possible, you might ask? Well, I put out the clarion call for some questions and I got a ton of them. Via the Twitter machine, so we're going to get, hopefully, to all of them. If not, we might have to tax them on on Monday show. Um, but I've got a ton of great questions to get to, but I also have to do something else here at the outset, which we're going to get to in a second. But before we do that, your usual reminders here at the start, please do follow along the Twitter machine, all the hijinks, at Mark Schofield. Also, check out the work at places like Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, three SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and right here at Pat's Pulpit. And of course, USA Today Touchdown Wire. I'm doing a summer series over at Touchdown Wire titled, roughly titled, Metrics Let Matter. Basically, what I'm doing is I'm taking one stat. Sometimes it's a collection of stats. And highlighting an area of concern for a team from 2019 and what they might have done to sort of alleviate that concern like for example I talked about Josh Allen's poor downfield passing numbers and I highlighted the fact they got Stephon Diggs who's a great downfield receiver for the Miami Dolphins I talked about how they failed to protect Ryan Fitzpatrick last year and I talk about the scheme changes and the new faces that they should hope will protect Tua Tungavailoa in 2020 so check that out if you can USA Today their touchdown or touchdown wire excuse me site Now, I said we're going to get to listener questions, and I will in a second, but this is also, if you've checked out Pat's pulpit this week, and I certainly hope you have, this is What If Week over at SB Nation, and since I'm not doing a piece this week, I figured it'd be a good chance to sort of talk about one of my what ifs for the New England Patriots, and I want to take you back, awkwardly enough, to my sophomore year in high school. Now, You might be wondering why I would want to relive those dark days of my life, although i got to say sophomore year was pretty good near the end. It got better near the end. But that winter and into spring, there was a massive debate across New England and certainly at my lunch table during lunchtime at the cafeteria. And that is, what would the New England Patriots do with the first overall overall pick in the 1993 draft? You probably remember they drafted the big-armed quarterback from the Pac-12, well, then the Pac-10, Drew Bledsoe. But there was another quarterback in the mix in that discussion, a quarterback from the Howard Halls of Notre Dame playing under the Golden Dome and touchdown Jesus. And as somebody making his first four-way, foray into the draft process, someone who was finally taking his own personal football knowledge to the, say, the underpinnings of what would someday become draft Twitter. I was making that case to my friends every single day at lunch that the choice was clear. Rick Meyer should be the Patriots pick with that first overall selection. Now, I've said before that that probably should tell you either one of two things. One, that you should not listen to me on scout and takes for any reason. Or two, maybe I've learned some things along the way. Because I'm not so sure I would have gone down that road in the year 2020. But at the time, look, Myra was the guy in my view. What what would happen, though, if the Patriots actually drafted Rick Myra instead of Drew Bledsoe? Probably not anything good. Now, it's true that Rick Myra, he was Rookie of the Year. He shared Offensive Rookie of the Year with his former teammate, Jerome Bettis. And he set, at the time, all-time NFL rookie records, For attempts, completions, and yards. Because that first season, what did he do? Completed 274 passes on 486 attempts for 2,833 yards, 12 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. That was co-rookie of the year. Now the problem was that that was arguably his best season with Seattle. Because the next year what did he do? Well, nothing good. You know, his next season he went you know, 195 on 381 attempts for 51% completion percentage, just over 2000 yards, 11 touchdowns, seven interceptions. That interception percentage of just 1.8 was the best of his career. The next year he completes just 53.5% of his passes for 13 touchdowns, 20 interceptions. And then the year after that, his final year in Seattle, five touchdowns, 12 picks. He had a winning record once as a quarterback. Not that like QB wins is a thing, but seven wins, six losses, and his 13 starts in 1995. He then kicked around the league a little bit, stops in Chicago, the Jets, San Francisco, and Oakland. His final year in the league, 2003, appeared in nine games, eight starts, two and six record with the Niners. completion percentage, 1,267 yards, three touchdowns, five interceptions. He leaves the league with a career completion percentage of 53.3, 50 touchdowns, 76 interceptions. Guys, thank God the New England Patriots didn't listen to me. Let's get to your questions now, a little bit of a, a happier topic. We're kicking it off with Aaron Williams via the Twitter machine at SwagDaddy underscore 11. Mark, do you think the Patriots will trade Gilmore? I know you have touched on this subject in the past. With the current cap roster situation, I could see them moving on and drafting someone new next year. If you could break this down on the show with your depth and thoughts, it would be much appreciated. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Swag Daddy. As always, please do give everybody a follow that sends in a question. And even though the Patriots' secondary might be the strength of their team. And even though you can move on from Stefan Gilmore and clear up a ton of cap space, which is at a minimum right now, you don't have a ton of it. Like you could arguably remove Stephon Gilmore from the equation and have a pair of starting corners and Jason McCourty, Jonathan Jones with JC Jackson as perhaps your slot guy, or maybe Jackson on the outside and, Jonathan Jones is your slot guy and Juwan Williams waited in the wings. Like you could do that. But if we've learned anything about the Patriots over the past couple of weeks and months, I do believe in Dave Archibald's idea that they're trying to win rock fights. And I'm not so sure that making a trade of Stephon Gilmore would be the play when you're trying to do that. There are two contracts that I think they might want to move. Gilmore might be one of them, but the other might be Joe Tooney. And, of course, you'd have to be satisfied in either Hilde Froholt, Michael Wenu, Jermaine Illuminor, and one of those guys stepping up and being a starting guard for you before you're going to move on from him. But if your strength is going to be defense, I'm not sure you're going to weaken that by trading Stephon Gilmore. I mean, he, despite what happened in Week 17, he is lockdown corner CB1 in the NFL right now. And you might get a ton in return for him, particularly in draft capital. You might get a first for him right now. Now, the only way that might make sense is if we get pre-trade deadline and it's clear this team's going nowhere. And yeah, you might still sort of get a mid-first round pick, maybe late in the you know top 10, but you want to make sure you can get to one to fix let's say, the quarterback position, then you might move him there. But I don't think if they're going to make a move to clear up cap space, it's going to be Gilmore. Now, again, we've seen them do this before. Laurie Malloy, for example, making a trade prior to the season. They've done it with Stars. Would it stun me? No. Do I think is what they're going to do? No, I don't. Next question, Renato Dries. I know I didn't get that right. Is at... M-A-S-A-L-T-O-Q-U-E on the Twitter machine. What about cap space? What do you think they will do? Stay the same? Extend somebody? Trade somebody? I I think the possibilities are in some order. You know, a restructure, or an extension perhaps with Shaq Mason. Maybe something similar with Joe Tooney working on a long-term deal there that sort of spreads out the cap hit. Or trading Joe Tooney. Like I, I think... Those are the potential moves that we might see to sort of free up cap space because they're they've got everybody but Kyle Duggar signed. And our boy Pat's cap has kind of pointed to where they are right now. That you know they have under a million in cap space, six hundred and thirty thousand eight hundred and eighty dollars. Now he did make some pr- predictions, our boy Miguel did. about what they might do in terms of cap space. The main one is this. A surprise cut of Patrick Chun or potentially Devin McCourty. Now he did say on Twitter that his surprise cut prediction was that only one of McCourty, Harmon, and Shun would be on the Patriots roster week one. And with Harmon now in Detroit, Chun probably might be that other guy, especially when you look at what Kyle Duggar brings to the table. So that might be something else that they do. Next question comes to us from Adam Adam Odin Welder. At Adam Odenwelder, A-D-A-M-O-D-E-N-W-E-L-D-E-R on the Twitter machine. And he's got a series of three we're going to work through here. First up, it seems like the Cowboys' plan is to not pay Dak long-term. If he walks after 2020, where do you see him going? And what are the best case and most likely scenarios for the Cowboys in replacing him? First of all, I think they should pay Dak. Like, I think he's a good enough quarterback that he's earned the long-term deal... There are still some things he can get better at. I still find some flaws in him, but he's good enough that you pay him. You've gotten him the help now. You're going to see a great year from him, I think, so you pay him. If they don't and they move on, I think, depending on what happens with Jared Stidham, if the Patriots want to address quarterback, New England would be a potential landing spot. You'd have to consider it. You know, you might want to look at Tampa Bay. You know, if Brady's one and done in Tampa, let's say Brady wins a Super Bowl and he's like, look, I'm done here. And Tampa Bay might be in the mix. Carolina, if the Teddy Bridgewater situation doesn't go well for them, might be in the mix. Indianapolis, you know, they just drafted Jacob Eason, sure, but I think they'd prefer Dak Prescott to Jacob Eason. So those are some teams I think might be in the mix. Dark Horse might be Tennessee. Look, Tennessee, they went all in on Ryan Tannehill. They drafted Cole McDonald as potentially their backup. I'm not so sure he's a long-term answer there. And while, look, 2020, it's a big year for Tannehill in terms of the cap, they could theoretically get out from him before 2021, right? You know, the cleaner out would be before 2023 when it would just be $5 million in dead cap. I guess, no, they'd have to ride with a 2021, excuse me, I'm, two different sites here. Sport track says that he'd have a dead cap number of $39.5 million if they let him get moved on from him from before 2021. It drops to $10 million in 2022. So it'd be tough to get both those guys on the contract. So maybe Tennessee is a real dark horse here. But there are some landing spots for him to be sure. Next question from Adam. What tips and tricks do you have for using a smoker? And this probably stems out of a discussion that Adam and I were having with some other people on to- on the timeline, I believe Tuesday night, about the Traeger. And the best tip I can give you is this. Be patient. Be patient. Allow for a lot more time, particularly when you're doing things like pulled pork. Just really pack the patience. Plan ahead of time. It's a lot better to sort of Finish early and then take your time pulling, getting sauces ready and things like that than it is to try to speed it up near the end of the process because then you're just not going to be as satisfied with the way things come out. Like the first time I had the Traeger and took it out for a spin using pulled pork, I started late in the morning. Felt like I needed to crank up the temperature. It just doesn't come out right. Next time I did it, got myself up before the sun rose, really sort of took my time with it, packed the patience and was much happier in the end. Yeah, it came off a little bit earlier than we were planning to have dinner, but again, you sort of take your time, you pull it right, and it all works out in the end when you do it right. So low and slow, pack the patience. Finally, Adam had to tack on a third question, and I, don't understand, I totally understand why. Never mind my other questions. Dedicate the entire show, SCO show to the Rams uniforms. Explanations are needed. I think, they looked at Atlanta and said, hold our beer. There are some people that like the new Rams uniforms. I just, I don't. It looks like the uniforms were made with an intern using MS Paint. I hate the numbers. I, I don't like the number gradient. Like there's nothing about them that I like. Go to the old blue and yellow. Mix in the old white and blue. They were good. This, not so much. I don't know, they have like the little details like Los Angeles on the back of the helmet, Rams on the front and some other things with stitching and patches. Nah. It's just, you had a good then you ruined it. This is almost like those 49ers uniforms when they busted out that weird helmet that said 49ers on the side in 1991. If you've never heard of this, look it up. Go to my Twitter, you'll see it. I was tweeting it out Tuesday. They never saw the light of day. I feel similar about these things. Rise not. At Buck underscore Mitchell on Twitter. what does the future hold for Jadavion Clowney. I think he finds a way back to Seattle. I mean, I still think that that makes the most sense. You know, when you look at some of the acquisitions that Seattle has made, it's not like they really threw a ton at, you know, edge. Alton Robinson in the fifth round, Brennan and Bruce Irvin, Like, I don't think that really does it. I I think they find a way to get Jadavion Clowney back in the fold. I really do. I could be wrong, but that's where I think it's going. Next question from NMAC at reluctant underscore trade on the Twitter machine. As a European where sports don't have the concept of a salary cap, my best take is that coaching and management provide the best opportunity to elevate your team in the NFL. If true... Says the coach in Exodus in the past three years, were you more than the player Exodus? Appreciate all your content, and it's a fascinating thing to ponder because the brain drain is real, right? Joe Judge, Dante Scarnecchia, Brian Flores—like the brain drain is real. And when you're talking about breaking in a new quarterback, when you're talking about all the other th- things that you have to do on the offensive side of the ball, Dante Scarnecchia and what he brings to the table as an offensive line coach. That is scary. You know, but the thing that sort of calms me in a sense is that old phrase is the Jimmys and Joes, not the X's and O's, right? You can coach him up and scheme him up and all that stuff, but talent sometimes wins out. And coaching certainly goes a long way in in terms of getting guys ready, preparation, situational awareness, but talent sometimes wins out. Now that's going to get put to the test with this offensive line without Skarnecchia and Jared Stidham under center and not Tom Brady. But we'll see. But it's scary but not terrifying, I think is what I'm trying to say. Next couple of questions before we take a quick little pause here. And I wanted to end on this one for the first half of the show. This is from... Uh, a G fit naked underscore four underscore life at A L G one three six inquiring minds must know favorite Scrubs episode and this spurred on a bit of a discussion. Taylor underscore Acton got in with the one with the three patients dying from the transplants that were infected with rabies. Coon um, observe at K U E H N O B S E R V E said that that story arc might be one of the best in television history. And I will say that this is tough. This is a legitimate tough question to answer. But there's two that I will mention. One that has been running through my head. I think many people's heads for a while now. That's my cabbage. Now, you might wonder why. Why that episode? Why this episode from season five? Episode 12. Well, it has the patient. Patricia Wilk. Everybody's favorite patient. She's finally going to get to go home. But throughout the episode, there's a bird that's getting into the hospital and the janitor is supposed to get the bird removed, but he doesn't. He keeps the bird as a friend. Finally, JD steps in and the janitor says, fine, okay, fine, I'm going to kill the bird, but he just secretly releases him. But the bird's been spreading germs throughout the episode and it ends with that scene with Cabbage, who's like an intern, saying goodbye to Mrs. Wilk shakes her hand after picking up this dirty glove off the hospital floor and you see that fluorescent green and you see it sort of like spreading throughout the hospital and you just, you know she's infected with a terminal disease. Like it's hard not to think of that episode and that moment and that sequence in the world we're living in right now. And so that certainly sticks out. But for me, my favorite episode is my screw up. The episode that ends with you know, JD thinking he's going to his son. I mean, not JD. With Doctor Cox thinking he's going to his son's birthday party, and he's talking to Brendan Fraser. But Brendan Fraser is dead. And that song "Winter" from Joshua Raiden starts playing. And GD asks him, "Who do you think you're talking to?" And Brendan Fraser disappears, and they're at his funeral. Like I'm getting choked up and goosebumps thinking about that scene. I rewatched that episode before doing this show and I was crying. Like A lot of people say that's the best episode Scrubs did and I agree. Like for me, yeah, that's it. And there are funnier episodes, sure. There are funny moments, yeah. But one of the beauties of the show was that it could be funny and then hit you with something like that to remind you of, life and death and the things that matter in life. And so, yeah, my screw up, like that's it for me. On that note, let's hit the pause button, take a little break. Up next, the rest of your questions, that's ahead on episode 108 of the Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 108 of the Sco Show and we'll get back to your questions now. We still got a lot more to get through. Like I said, big ups to the listeners this week. I put out the call for questions, and maybe it's because you're all still sort of stuck at home. You had nothing else to do than to help me out on Twitter, and you sent in some questions, a ton of questions, and I loved seeing all the questions, trying to get through all of them. Uh, Brian Kozlowski at floes 4 2 What are some of your favorite recordings Matt Waldman has turned you on to? And for those of you that aren't quite aware, Matt has an incredible ear for music, incredible musical mind. But there is a bit of a tension between Matt and I when it comes to music because he makes fun of me all the time for Africa, for Toto, and I get it. Like, Matt's somebody that, you know, honest to God, like, there, there will be times when he and I will be like getting ready to do a show together or just, you know, calling each other to talk, and I'll hear like the Miles Davis in the background, and that's where he'll go. Like, he'll go down the jazz, you know, realm, you know, which is a genre that I have yet to really get into. Like, I could do some Dave Brubeck, but that's about the limit for me. And he's he's been pushing me into, say, the Miles Davis realm. You know, I just haven't quite got there yet. But he's trying. And look, my musical tastes are all over the place. Like, I can go from Africa and Toto to Ramstein to Pink Floyd to the weekend, in like the middle of the day. Like I'll play video game soundtracks. Like I'm usually like all over the place. I'll throw classical on. Jazz is just the one that hasn't gotten me there, but Matt's trying. The one and only Ian McDonald at E-N-C-M-A-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. Who do you think will have the best year or biggest impact? Sony, Harry, uh, CSC, or Keen? And I know we're living in the realm of running backs don't matter. And I know we're living in the realm of don't pay running backs. Listeners to this show and its previous version, the Locked On Patriots podcast, when I was hosting that show, know that when they drafted Michelle, one of the things I said was this is the transition phase from a Brady world to a post-Brady world. They're getting their running back. I think Michelle is going to be the one of those four that's going to have the biggest impact and have the best year because they're going to be the 2001-2002 Patriots. That's what they're trying to be. And they're going to be a ball-controlled offense. Use the running game. He's going to be Antoine Smith. Maybe he won't have massive numbers by today's standards, but he's going to be the guy they rely on the most. Again, that's sitting here Wednesday night, May thirteenth, 2020. Ask me again in two months. But a similar question. Andy Likens. Again, follow Andy on Twitter at A-L-Y-K-I-N-S-3-2. Andy's doing some cut-ups, some video work. Get it on the ground floor, friends. Based on the personnel that the Patriots have, do you think that they can run a 49er-style dynamic run game? And do you think that Stidham will be more comfortable in something like that or a more vertical spread offense? I think that's what they're trying to do. Again, the sort of 21-12 personnel-type run game, doing some different things. There's a great clinic on the Niners outside zone game you can find on YouTube. I think that's what they're getting towards, that sort of ball control type, throwing out of 12-21, and 21, throwing off of play action, and things like that, getting a bit of the ground game going. And I think that would be a good fit for Stenum because let's not forget, part of the reason that he rose up draft boards was what he did at the Senior Bowl in Kyle Shanahan's system. Like, I think the vertical spread, which Sidham ran at Baylor, is something he can do. But I don't think that's something the Patriots are building. I think they're building a 49ers-type offense. And I think they're placated, in fact, by what they saw him do down in Mobile. Now, the next question comes to us from War Pig Squant. At Pig Squant, P-I-G-S-Q-U-A-N-T on the Twitter machine. Can you do a bit on your MVP-ready quarterbacks that Vegas is down on or a historical comp for some quarterbacks would be pretty cool, too? Let me say this here at the outset. That idea of quarterback historical comps is a great one, and I will file that away for a later show because that's literally a summer show in and of itself. So it's a fantastic idea, and I don't want to just try to burn through it now. I think it's meaty content for those summer months when there's not a lot going on. But I do want to get to the first part of that. MVP-ready quarterbacks that Vegas is down on. You know, looking at... This is from CBS Sports. Numbers according to the William Hill sports book. Current MVP odds. Mahomes is your favorite at plus 350. Lamar Jackson plus 600. Russell Wilson at plus 800. Deshaun Watson then at plus 1,400. Tom Brady plus 16. Drew Brees plus 1,800. And Dak Prescott at 2,000. Plus 2,000. Like, those are your top quarterbacks. And I think Prescott got some love from me in the middle of the year last year. I thought he was a smart play. And a plus 200, he's certainly more of an underdog than a favorite. And I think you might want to, if you're into that kind of thing, throw a couple of bones his way. But then you get Kyler Murray, plus 2,500. Carson Wentz, a plus 2,500. And Aaron Rodgers, a plus 2,500. And those are certainly enticing. Especially when you consider... Wentz has a ton of new weapons, and they're going to get more vertical. Murray might get that year two bump. And Aaron Rodgers is going to be playing like a man out of his mind. So I think those are some, again, if you're into that sort of thing, some launch shots you might want to consider. But then I'm going to really scroll down a bit. So there are some serious launch shots, and I'm not going all the way down to Joe Burrow at plus 8,000. Like We're not going there. And this might sound somewhat sacrilegious on a Patriots show. But if he can win you some money as a long shot underdog, it might be worth it. And yes, some may say, well, this is similar to the Mitchell Trubisky MVP bets that were placed this time last year. And yeah, there's a strong case for that. But if you're talking 10 bucks, Josh Allen a plus 4,000? Like this is a down year potentially from the New England Patriots. They might rise. And maybe, just maybe, with Stephon Diggs in the fold, Josh Allen unlocks the deep passer inside of him that he failed to be last year. And this might get me ridiculed, but whatever. 10 bucks, Josh Allen? Maybe it's $10 you're flushing down the toilet, but if it is just $10 you're flushing down the toilet, you'll probably have some fun along the way because, hey, if Josh Allen doesn't play well, then you're probably listening to the show as a Patriots fan. You'll be okay with that. Or maybe quarantine is getting to me. I don't know. I wanted to end on this question. Last question I got in from John Newman at Felix Monroe 5, F-E-L-I-X-M-O-N-R-O-E 5, the number 5. I read an article from The Atlantic this week about parents not allowing their kids to play football because of the injury and CTE risks. Do you think the NFL will lose its spot as the biggest sport in the USA like Major League Baseball did years ago? Is it possible we've already seen the best football there is to play? Or will analytics, more readily accessible technology in offseason football camps, continue to increase the level of skilled players entering the NFL every year? Thanks for reading. And, you know, I wanted to talk about this on the close more as a dad than as a football analyst. Because as I'm sitting here right now recording the show, my son, Owen, who's eight, is in the room next to me playing Madden. And when his classmates get together before we were all sort of locked down, when his classmates have Google handouts or zoom play dates, now they talk about football and some of his friends are playing football. And as somebody that played the game for 13 years, there has been a part of me that's like, no, I'm not, I don't want to let him play until he's older, particularly not tackle football. If he wants to do flag or something like that, like fine. But until like high school, if he wants to do it then, maybe. But it's a bit of a different situation, which I can't really get into too much. Um, but, you know, he has some health considerations. Nothing serious, but something that might make a contact sport a little bit of a worry. Let me put it this way. Like that line from the movie I getting, you know, when you have... Space shuttles, right? When you have a backup plan for your backup plan. NASA builds two of everything, right? The human body does that with kidneys. Sometimes, though, you just get one. So a contact sport isn't something that, yeah, you really think about too much, given that situation. But you can only say no for so long. And at some time in their lives, they're going to have the opportunity to make their own decisions. And it's something that I do grapple with. I mean, let's face it. When he walks down to the basement and sees me at work, what am I doing? I'm watching football. I'm diagramming football plays on a whiteboard. Like it's hard to then say, no, you can't do this. And it is something that I grapple with. And I know I'm not alone. I talk to parents of his friends, even parents of his friends that are coaching football. And they still sort of wonder like, yeah, I can coach him, right? But I don't know if everybody else can. And sometimes it's not the job you do coaching your kids. It's the job the other guys And women that are coaching other teams do with their kids. You know, because you can tell the kids that you're coaching until you're blue in the face how to tackle properly, heads up tackle and all that stuff. But then you get speared by a kid that isn't taught the right way and now you're injured. And so, yeah, you are seeing sort of parents grappling with that decision. You are seeing participation rates come down a little bit. But at the same time, I do think that the more we spend in terms of studying CTE and head injuries, the more knowledge we have at our disposal and the more programs there are to sort of instill the right way to tackle sort of alternatives in football, such as flag that will keep kids in the game, excited about the game. And then perhaps when they're more developed physically, where tackling and tackle football is a bit safer they can then move from, say, flag to tackle football, whether it's you know, late in middle school or high school, then there will still be kids playing the game. Because I've said this before about the game of football, and there are things about the sport, whether at the NCAA level, the NFL level, that infuriate me to no end. But the game itself is a beautiful game, and it has given me so much. And it's almost selfish in a way to not let my son enjoy that like look football put me on a path to a college that I probably shouldn't have gotten into then a law school that I might not have gotten into without that college and then a law school I met the woman that is now my wife it set me up for the life that I have now and so you can understand why I might grapple with it it's hard it's not an easy question but I do think that the more we study the game the more we study injuries And the more we provide sort of safer, non-contact, non-collision alternatives, such as flag, that will keep kids excited about the game, that will allow them to develop some of the skills they need to play the game, and then when they're physically ready to do it with pads and tackling, they can do it. And that might be my son. I just don't know. I think he's better at baseball, though. Plus, he's a bit of a switch hitter, I think, which is kind of cool. But that will do it for today. I will be back Monday. Believe it or not, Monday, we start one of our potentially many summer series here at the Escort Show. We'll be doing some quarterback scouting at both the pro and the college level. So that's Monday. Until next time, friends, stay safe. Wear masks. Protect those around you. I know a lot of states are starting to open things up. Do it wisely. Do it smart. Just keep washing those hands. And when you do, sit along. And bless those Patriots reigns. Down and fuck.